Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hello, everyone. My name is Taylor Chambers, and welcome to this next step on your pilgrimage from unwanted porn use to fearless sexuality. Uh, today, I am joined by Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. So, thank you for being here, first of all. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, you're a very well-respected um, speaker and thinker, and so I know you'll, you'll bring tremendous insights and value to, to our viewers here. So uh, by way of introduction, um, Dr. Finlayson Fife, you are a, an LDS relationship and sexuality coach with a PhD in counseling psychology. Um, so um, quite a bit of um, education and information. This is not just someone who's passionate about it. You're incredibly well-informed um, and uh, I think very much a thought leader in, in our, the LDS community. Um, and you're based in Chicago, um, but much of your work is online. Um, you do a handful of online courses. Um, and my wife and I have taken a couple of these and watched them together. Um, the only problem is that for every hour of content, we spend two hours getting through it. We're constantly pushing pause and talking and figuring things out. Sometimes I'll push pause and I'll just like stare at the corner of the ceiling and just process for a little bit and then we'll resume. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's very much, um, a way of getting, um, my wife and I, but also everyone, I would suspect a, a way of thinking deeper and really reflecting. Yeah. It's been very valuable. So great. I'm so glad. Well, and not only that, but you also run workshops and retreats. Um, in fact, I think I saw you have one in Italy coming up next year. Is that right? Yeah. Well, one in Spain in about a week and a half, two weeks. We're Spain it was. Spain, oh, cool. Uh, uh -huh. Which is where I served a mission. Um, so I'm excited to go back. But then, oh, very cool. And then, yes, Italy next spring, which we haven't started selling yet, but yes. I see. Okay. European well, cool. Ones, but local ones in, in the U.S. anyway. What a, what a cool space to talk about. You know, sexuality yeah, and eroticism and romance, right? It's true. It's amazing. <laughs> well, the, the last thing I'll, I'll throw out in, in terms of the introduction is just that you're a frequent guest on podcasts and you've spoken extensively on sexuality, faith, you know, marriage, relationships, mental health, and other things. And you have your own podcast called Room for Two, where you provide some um, sex and intimacy coaching, I guess as a way of, um, the way I would put it is as a way of maybe demonstrating these principles in action. Yeah. Exactly. It's giving people, first of all, I had such a long wait list and I wanted to figure out a way to allow people to think about how some of these ideas might apply to their situation and being able to hear other people's stories because it not mm -hmm. only normalizes a lot of these developmental challenges and how we mm -hmm. create a deeper capacity for intimacy in our marriages, but so it normalizes, but also then you can hear like, oh yeah, I do what that person's doing. Or, okay. Yes. Yeah, I can see it better because it's more in the day-to-day -day of living. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, it's an incredibly valuable resource. Um, yeah. Well, and so generally if people are interested in learning more about you and your work, um, finlayson5.com would be yeah. the, the hub. So yes. that's finlayson-fife.com. Um, com, and I'll include links. All right. Well, now into the meat of things. Um, many of our viewers, um, well, of course, are experiencing unwanted pornography use. Yes. And the typical framing that they adopt or that is provided to them is one of addiction. The behavior yes. feels out of control. It feels destructive. And so this must be an addiction. Um, yes. 
But how do you choose to frame and understand this experience? Yeah, so I do tend to challenge the addiction frame, which just to be straight up, you know, sometimes it gets misunderstood that I don't believe people have a problem or that it's not a big mm. deal or that it doesn't have a negative effect on both the individual and the marriage. Right. I do see that it does, it can and does, but more that the addiction framing sometimes interferes with people actually growing into a different position and place relative to their sexuality and pornography. Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, I'm, I'm in favor of anything that helps people take deeper control of their lives to live with more right. integrity. And if you're in a program that uses the addiction framing, but it's really helping you do that, by all means, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the issue that I have is maybe a couple of them. First is just that sometimes addiction gets put onto behaviors that are not compulsive or out of control. Mm -hmm. They may be unwanted. They may cause one to feel anxiety or guilt, but right. it's, it, it sometimes too quickly gets labeled as a compulsive problem when it isn't a compulsive problem. And then that label in and of itself drives more shame, more uncertainty, and more fear, which can then paradoxically create more trouble, right? Mm -hmm. In one sense of self, in one sense of being able to direct and affect their lives. But also because the addiction label has a meaning in which there's this something is acting upon you. So if you have a substance abuse addiction, there is something acting upon you, like your biology and so on is, is also pushing for this experience, right? Yeah. And uh, th that's a different framing, in my view, than repeatedly going or even compulsively going to a behavior, whether it's porn viewing or video game watching or spending mm -hmm. or eating, that isn't so much the body acting on the brain as it is about one choosing a pattern of managing one's anxiety that is problematic, okay, and is interfering with their life. But keeping that sense of you being the driver is very important and you taking responsibility. So, for example, I had a client who came in, he'd been viewing pornography, doing lots of things deceptively. His wife found mm -hmm. out, they come in. And he was talking like, well, that's my addiction. That's my addiction. And, you know, the problem was he's actually getting away from taking deeper self-awareness and responsibility for the fact that he keeps choosing something. So he's actually using it to actually get almost be a victim of his own brain rather than mm -hmm. I'm engaging and choosing a pattern that's maybe even instinctive. I'm not even that aware of it, but I'm still the chooser. I'm still the mm -hmm. architect of my life. And what am I doing about this pattern? So I, I want people to take more responsibility, not more shame, but more responsibility. And sometimes the addiction framing, if it's interfering with that, in my view, is a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you because a lot of people seem to adopt that lens and, and do good work, right? And, and mm -hmm. uh, make yeah. gains. But it is such an easy thing to maybe misapply and, yeah. and really make shortcuts of like, you know, this is my identity. This is how it is. What are you going to expect from me now? Right? Yeah. And, and so, then I'll and just that's where it becomes like a, very unhelpful. Yes. And a third reason why I, I maybe 
take some issue with it is that sometimes mm-hmm. what happens is in the betrayal trauma groups and the addiction groups, there's a kind of intimacy that happens in the group around the problem rather than understanding some of these issues more in a developmental sense and helping people become more capable of intimacy, more capable of openness and sexual engagement. So sometimes, you know, if you have an addiction to alcohol, you can swear off alcohol for life and live a good life, right? But Uh sometimes what happens is sex and other women, for example, or, you know, like I had a client who was in a sex addiction program when he came to see me and just seeing a woman walking down the street, his anxiety would go up. He would become more afraid that he was going to have a feeling or a thought he shouldn't have uh, and feeling like something's acting upon him rather than how am I going to relate to this other human being? How am I going to choose? And so it, it actually was interfering with his ability to get closer to his wife, to be at peace with his sexuality. He's like trying to get away from it all the time, at least in the model that he was in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All all sexuality can, for some people, become a threat. We're shutting it down constantly, which cuts us off from, you know, the the connection that could be so healing and valuable in our lives. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Even this connection to ourselves, you know, to this part of us that is divine and, and natural to us because we're so terrified that it's stronger than yeah. we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, in terms of this process of healing, because, because we're not trying to get rid of sexuality wholesale, yes. um, what role does abstinence or sobriety play? Is this an initial step? Is this not relevant to healing? I mean, how, how do we frame that the sobriety and abstinence piece? Yeah, so I use different language than sobriety and absence, which, of course, is a product of that addiction framing. Um, yes. What I would think of it is taking deeper, deeper self-awareness and deeper agency or deeper deliberateness in your choices uh-huh. so that you're not just in an anxious uh, pattern. So what happens often for people that are in compulsive behavior is that their anxiety goes up about their lives, about their sense of self. There's something that is driving their anxiety up and the porn viewing or the video game watching or the eating or whatever it is helps bring the anxiety down a little bit. And so they seek it. They seek it intuitively because they want relief from the anxiety. Of course, what happens is then when they come out of that, you know, they turn off the video game that they've been immersed in for hours or the porn viewing. Yeah. Or, then, of course, their sense of shame and anxiety, their, their diffused and overall sense of shame and anxiety has now gone up on their life. They have more reason to want to try and get away from who they are. And so mm-hmm. oftentimes that's why people have the feeling of this is an addiction because they're constantly kind of trying to get away from their sense of self. They're trying to, they feel this sense that they are insufficient and broken. And so there is this feeling like I can't control it. It controls me. And so mm-hmm. I can, I can see why people would name it that way because I'm sure it can feel that way. Sure. But what I think a good therapy or a good um, intervention is, is to start to settle down a little more and take a look at what am I doing and why am I doing it? What am I trying to solve? What am I trying to get away from? And, um, you know, 
sometimes the amount of shame we have, I mean, I think it's easier if somebody has a video game compulsivity because there's not as much shame. Now, I don't mean there's zero shame or that there isn't a sense right. of failing in one's life. But because porn is so often connected to this sense of being depraved and like a broken uh -huh. human being that it can really get loaded pretty quickly um, that you don't love God, that you are, you know, on Satan's team. There's like a lot of that out there. And so it actually drives the anxiety and actually makes it more likely for people to get into this compulsive pattern. And so that's why, you know, I want culturally for us to back up a bit and just mm -hmm. because we are actually in our effort to not view porn are actually driving a lot of the behavior that we don't want in our children or in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're colluding and, and almost creating this or reinforcing this negative cycle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is why, you, why you're very precise in, in your framing and kind of yes. the work that you do. Yes. Now, a, a lot of your work is on the sex therapy side of things, which I would say is, you know, on enhancing sexual experience. Yes. And as you're saying here, yes, a byproduct of growth might be, you know, less compulsive behavior or unwanted behavior. Yes. Um, but you, you really center your ideas and your focus on this idea of personal development. And in fact, yeah. when you're talking about sexuality, you're often talking about personal development. Yes. Um, how is it that you, um, or maybe why is it that you blend these two concepts? Yeah, it's a big question. So I'm just going to try and be <laughs> helpful. <laughs> so the reason that I, I blend them is because yeah. our ability to be at peace with our sexuality and to feel that it actually blesses our life is highly connected to a deeper self-acceptance and a deeper ability to be agents in our lives. Okay, so as we grow in our capacity to love, to accept ourselves, to accept our sexuality, to value another person, like our, our ability to love through our sexuality, our ability to be loved through it, our peace with ourselves, our sense of control over ourselves grows. And so a lot of times people are in an early stage in development with, and what I would say is some people can grow in other areas of their life more comfortably, but because both biologically and culturally sexuality is much more vulnerable and laden with meaning, mm -hmm. oftentimes people's sexual development lags, their ability to be at peace with themselves sexually lags. And yet it's so fundamental to being happy in a marriage. It's so fundamental to being at peace with ourselves that I am passionate about helping people on this piece because it can be a burden in their lives and in their happiness and in their spirituality, even if they're not able to understand and, and have a deeper sense of agency in their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're really talking about this idea that I mean, many people frame it as like there's personal development and then there's sexuality. And I, I suspect many of our viewers, if they make any connections at all, it's like personal development means getting rid of the bad sexual behavior. Yeah. And you're, you're talking about using sexuality as a vehicle or engaging with your sexuality as a way of growing yourself up. 
learning yes. about yourself and how you interact with other people around you. Yes, because, uh, you know, so coming from an LDS theology frame, we really see the body as is an essential aspect of our spiritual mm -hmm. development. And so the body is this, this God-given gift that can feel love, experience, right, act, be acted upon, and our sexuality, as strange as it is, right, because our sexuality <laughs> is a little weird. I mean, it's, we can give ourselves a break for being a little like, you know, uh, sure? but, but, you know, it is a really fundamental part of our being. And so to be at peace in your own skin, to accept your capacity for pleasure, to accept and be able to share your sexuality with a beloved other, right, is, has a spiritual core in it. It has this ability to give us, you know, I have worked with people and have experienced in my own life this sense of deeper self-acceptance that happens as you learn to love and be loved through sexuality. And so... Right. It, it's, it's not a piece that we can neglect without it affecting our lives. And the fact that many people are afraid of their sexuality or leave it alone or hope they can, I certainly have compassion for that fact because it's tricky. And for some people, they have been harmed in their sexuality or they mm -hmm. do feel out of control with their sexuality, so they wish it didn't exist, or they feel like it actually interferes with their marriage because they're the higher desire person and their partner isn't. And so they feel like if I could just get rid of this, I would, then my life could be so much better, but it, it doesn't cooperate with us on that front. It, it, if we don't address it, it tends to, you know, lurk in the background and actually wreak havoc on our on our the stability of our relationship or on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think many viewers can kind of reflect and notice that for my, my own development, yeah, there was a turning point where I had to really release the struggle, the battle, the, you know, get rid of yes. it and really learn to uh, sit with it, reckon with it, yes. um, learn to form a relationship with it. Yes. And it's such a different experience and it's so critical and it really does feel like, you know, expanding and, and there really is more opportunities for choice when you're working with someone as opposed yes. to working against someone, right? Yes. If we're running scared all the time, you know, if yeah. we're running from our sexuality, running from the darker parts of ourselves, that flight like actually means that our fear or our sexuality or the worst in ourselves is what has control because we're running from it. But when we can turn mm -hmm. and see what's there, it, it doesn't mean that we're always pleased, okay, or always pleased yeah. with ourselves at all. But can I see? Can I understand? Mm -hmm. This is a deeply loving thing to do. And by love, I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it feels good. But to love yourself or another person is to calm yourself enough to know, to see, to witness, to care about what's there. It's like when my child's telling me something difficult about themselves to be calm and caring enough to just witness and know and understand without trying to change it, fix it, get anxious, you know, tell them right. what to do or whatever. It's very similar with ourselves that the act of just being 
what is, what is here? What can I learn? What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about how I cope? What can I learn about sexuality, my sexuality? What can I learn about God or goodness here? What can I learn about evil, you know, and in myself even? And mm-hmm. that takes tremendous courage. But when we dare to move, not just in the trying to get away, trying to suppress, but actually getting curious and learning, well, then our agency grows because we become, we raise our intelligence up. Um, Einstein is purported to have said, I don't know if he did or not, but it's a good quote, which is, you know, we can't solve problems at the level at which the problem was created. We have to increase our intelligence to solve it. And so a lot of times increasing our intelligence is a sobering process because it means we have to look at ourselves more honestly. We have to look at our choices more honestly and see what's there and settle ourselves down enough to be able to integrate what we see and then choose with more wisdom, not perfectly, Mm -hmm. but better to choose in a way Mm -hmm. that's more in line with what's true. And that's the process of development, sexual development, spiritual development, self-development. They all are in that process of moving out of being in the position of subject where you're just acting, right? And you don't have any self-awareness to moving into a more objective position where you can see yourself, recognize, and then be able to act more deliberately with more agency and increase your capacity as a person. And that's what any good compulsive behavior therapy or treatment is helping people do. You know, it's one that I... I don't know a lot about this approach. I mean, I have a rudimentary awareness, but it's one that has shown to have positive effect, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. And Mm -hmm. that's very much the core of the therapy, which is self-awareness, right? And acceptance in the sense of, okay, I can see what is, right? Not that I have to like it, not that I have to feel good about it, but I can see what it is. And then making commitments that are more in line with your, with your higher self, like, do I want to do this? Do I want to choose this? You know, I've worked with people where they've been in addiction framing. And so I had a client who had, um, was looking at pornography like four hours a day. It was a, really a problem. And mm. his wife found out about it again. And then she said, you, you have to move out for six months. And he didn't look at anything for five months and 29 days. And then on the last oh, wow. day, he did. Now, when he came to see me, I said, you know, there, there, I just can't imagine that that was just a bad moment. Like there's, there's something in that, like why if you, and you know, what I think it was for him was this feeling like, I don't want to be controlled by other people because everything was the locus of control was outside of him. He should be a good boy. He shouldn't look at this. Right. And so he'd right. go and look at porn as a way to kind of grab freedom in his marriage. I'm not saying it's, it was an immature behavior, of course. It doesn't really yeah. give him freedom, but it was trying to get some sense of control over his life, which, of course, would make him feel out of control. So now he's, like, talking to his bishop and ta- his wife, and he's de- being, you know, compliant. But then there's just yeah. this rebellious part of him that's like, I don't want to be controlled by everybody. You know, I don't want to yeah. fold into everyone else's idea. So he rebelled. He didn't have a conscious awareness of it, but I think he was trying to assert a sense of not being controlled. And so 
it actually didn't take much work with him to start saying, no, you are the one who's choosing, right? You, um, you are able to go five months and 29 days, okay? And you're able to mess yeah. up your life, and, well, yeah. mess up his life. I mean, he was, he, you know, you are choosing. And is this something yeah. you want? Is this the legacy you want? Is this what you want for your life? And so as soon as he could start taking deeper responsibility for his life, it was no longer about complying or defying other people. It was about choosing a life he could respect, choosing a life mm -hmm. he felt good about. And he even said to his wife, I'm not going to say to you, I know that I will never look at this again. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it's honest or even right for me to make that commitment and make you measure it. He's like, you can mm -hmm. ask me at any time. I will always be honest with you. But I know that I don't want to live in that legacy. That's not the life I want. But this is on me at this point. Yeah. You know, and, and right. so he really got control of it then when it really became his own issue with himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, to oversimplify here. Yeah. Your work with him involved reckoning with the behavior rather than just like, yes. oh, bad move, stamp it out, more injunctions or consequences yes. or whatever. Exactly. It was let's learn from that. Yes. And what happened was that you guys discovered this, this core theme for him yes. of, you know, being controlled in this rebellious part of him. And therein lies the solution because now it's about taking on more responsibility and ownership. Yes, that's right. Because mm -hmm. he wanted this in this is this situation. Of course, there can be different, different meanings for different people. But for him, it was like he wanted to belong to his own life, which is a very fundamental yeah. human desire but he was turning it, his sexuality and so on over to other people's judgments and therefore yeah. within this bind. And so as he took it onto his own judgment, well, then he felt more in control of it, but also that the issue of his own self-respect now was more on the line for him. And so he wanted to live up to his better self. And that is mm -hmm. again, how development happens for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's that's more, how people, and more integrated sense of self. That's exactly. And, and that's how people can actually be happily married um, <laughs> is because to be happily married, people want to have a sense of freedom while being married. Yeah. But the freedom doesn't yeah. come from indulgent, reckless behavior. It comes from feeling like we're agents and in control of our lives and choosing in a way that expands us, a way that makes us stronger and better. And so when we're living up to our higher selves, our sense of freedom grows as our sense of more, as our morality also grows. So the two grow together when you mm -hmm. move into this deeper self-authorship. Mm -hmm. Which, is, you know, good reflection for me. I, I, I notice my defaults are still like, you know, good marriages avoid all the problems, right? Like yeah. I'm sure she's happy or something like that. Yes. That's something I really have to reckon with yes. and constantly be asking myself questions of like, where am I and how do I stand in this space yes. or in this moment? Exactly. Um, not a natural place for many of us, but That's uh, right. incredibly valuable. That's right. And, you know, to that point, Taylor, like a lot of people <laughs> are taught that the good husband, the good wife makes their spouse happy takes care yeah. of their needs. So we're often taught the idea that 
the measure is outside of our control because try as you might, you can't make your partner happy. Okay. Like that mm -hmm. meaning. And so I, yeah, a lot of times we're trying to measure exactly. We're trying to, and, and that makes us feel trapped because we're trying to control yeah. something we can't control and makes us less happy in the marriage, even though our efforts are about trying to be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now with this, so we've talked about the individual and the personal development, and we've talked about how this is starting to show up in, in relationships and marriage. And I suppose maybe it depends on the, the individual couple, but, um, or the, the, the unit, but, you know, I've seen the, the full spectrum of people who don't communicate at all with their spouse about their unwanted sexual mm -hmm. behavior, mm -hmm. um, complete secrecy. And then on the other side, you know, daily check-ins about not mm -hmm. only like porn use, for example, mm -hmm. but also any thoughts or urges, or, right. you know, quote unquote triggers, um, which might be very ordinary life experiences in many right. cases. Um, right. I mean, yeah. what makes sense for communicating about this sure. experience of unwanted pornography in the marriage? So I don't know if I have like the answer of how people should do it, but I will... Mm -hmm at least name what I think is a problem about what you're saying. A lot of people do. Um, mm -hmm. it's so, so let me start with the first thing. It's easy for people to want to be deceptive and the, the deep risk of deception. If, if I were to say to people like the number one way you can live a better life is to be truthful about yourself, no matter how much it hurts. Right. Because, Satan's playground is not sex. Satan's playground is deception and self-deception, right? So mm -hmm. when we can tell ourselves something, we can hide from our own conscience. Now, we don't really, like it erodes our sense of self. It erodes our self-confidence. It erodes our happiness. But it, we can keep it from being acute enough that we don't actually address it. And so lying to a partner is a way of keeping a self-deception alive. And it's unfair mm -hmm. to the partner because mm -hmm. she or he has a right to know who you are so that she or he can make good decisions based on who you are, right? Yeah. And so right. there is a kind of honesty that's fundamental both to, to our moral developments and our peace of mind but also to our fairness to another person. Like a lot of times right. what we're keeping from our partner is exactly what we know they would want to know. I remember a, a client <laughs> where he was concerned his wife was having an affair and had some good reason. And he said, I want to see this bank account. And she's like, why do you want to see it? Because she didn't want to show it. And he said, because you don't want me to see it. That's why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because what are you hiding? I want to know. So I think honesty is really important, but mm -hmm. not about the framing of you're my policeman, yes. you're my manager, right? Uh, it's mm -hmm. not the kind of confessional because sometimes for people that becomes like almost part of the ritual of, it's almost like bulimia. You overeat, you, you know, you, re, you get sort of your anxiety goes down because you confessed, but it almost acts as like this kind of bring the anxiety down, but you're not actually in a place of integrity and self-confrontation. So, yeah. so honesty matters, but making the spouse, the measure, the sponsor, the bishop, the measure, that's still a problem. Now you can utilize 
those relationships to help you stay true to yourself, which is different. Mm-hmm. But if you're making it that they're the police, they're the enforcers, uh, you know, they're the ones that, you know, well, be, then then it creates a struggle where a partner feels like she or he has to help you manage your sexuality, which will make you eternally undesirable, <laughs> right? Because yeah. people don't want to do caretaking in sex and they don't want to believe their partner isn't handling their sexuality responsibly and well. And mm-hmm. so you want to utilize any relationship like that to keep you true to your own self, at, ideally, and not use it as they're in control of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it almost ceases to become a marriage, right? As you're right. saying, this policing relationship That's or even right. confessional bishop That's right. kind of relationship, That's which right. is entirely sexually unattractive. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and therein we, we, we lose the ability to connect and not only sexually, but just emotionally and intimately. That's right. And which could be such a powerful resource in growth and development. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that these, these ideas of getting the framing, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't want to say right, but choosing yeah. a, a thoughtful, effective framing. Yes. Um, looking at sexuality as a mechanism for por- for personal development. Yes. Um, and finding a way of um, communicating in the relationship in a way that's both honest, but not, um, but sincere, right? Like where that's we can right. still be two humans having a discussion rather than a, yeah. an authoritarian kind of position. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of throw out there in terms of this, you know, well, for viewers that are sure. struggling with their own unwanted use? Yeah, the thought that's coming into my mind as you're talking, Taylor, is that Mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, I've seen some programs that will frame sexual desire as as these sex chemicals are kind of Satan's temptation. Satan's minions are are coming in and and tempting you and luring you away. Mm -hmm. When we make sexuality an evil equivalent, we really do a disservice to ourselves because they're not. Sexuality is it is. It's just inherent to the human condition. How we relate to our sexuality is the issue. Are we using our sexuality to love and be loved to, in a way that accrues to our strength, or are we undermining ourselves or others with our sexuality? So it's just a language. It's a very potent language. It's a language that really mm-hmm. matters because it has high impact, but it's not good or bad. It depends on what we do with it. The reason why that mm-hmm. matters is because it doesn't mean that you have to, like, you see an attractive woman walking down the street, you don't have to, like, quit, get on the other side and actually resent her because she's dressed immodestly and so she's creating feelings in you you shouldn't have. That's all the idea that evil is walking down the street. And so it makes sense to have some contempt for her. But that's the wrong picture. Instead, it's that, okay, I'm going in an ordinary person, which sucks. Yes, exactly. It's actually just a very normal person. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And Mm -hmm. that for me to be at peace and to care about other human beings, it's I'm going to have sexual feelings. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with the fact that I'm going to have sexual feelings and sometimes unwanted sexual feelings, like inconvenient Mm -hmm. sexual feelings. The issue is Mm -hmm. not the fact of having them, but how do I respond and what choices do I make do I indulge it? Do I objectify that person? Do I, or do I, you know, acknowledge the feeling and, you know, think about her as another 
good human being and move forward in a way that I can respect. So, you know, sometimes in our sexual education of boys in particular, we we acknowledge that boys are sexual, but we mm-hmm. also scare them about their sexuality, right? That it will mm-hmm. undermine their goodness, undermine their trustworthiness. We tell girls often that they should dress modestly because boys barely have a handle on this, and so they need all the help they can get and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And the problem with that is... I'm not saying that that a lot of adolescent boys don't feel a sense of some sense of outer control with these kinds of feelings and all that. But the goal is that you to grow into a man is to grow into the ability to be trustworthy with your sexuality. That doesn't mean shaming it or suppressing it or saying it's not a good thing. But how can I relate to it in a way that is respectful of others and myself? Because that's really wonderful in a marriage, because then you can make peace with your sexuality and you can love and be loved through it. And so that's the measure is I'm going to have these feelings. The way I become stronger is to handle them in a way that I respect, that I know is fair and decent. It's not the absence Mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and in order to get there, we can't maintain this understanding of sex is evil or something like that. It's right. too reactive, and yes. we'd be enemies with our sexuality That's right. rather than befriending it and collaborating with it to create something That's uh, right. good and decent in the world. Yeah. That's right. A lot of my work is about helping people to change the frame in which they're trying to solve the challenges in front of them. And the reason is because a lot of times we're in a meaning frame that makes it impossible to solve it, even though we're trying very earnestly to do it. That's what breaks my heart sometimes. So I care a lot about the language because the language communicates what the solution is, what the problem is. And if it's off, even a little, it can often interfere with a whole new set of possibilities, a whole different level of growth. So, yeah. All right. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Again, if you guys want to learn more, I'll have a link to finlayson5.com. Finlayson-fife.com is an excellent place to go to find out more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and her work. Thank you so much. And I hope everyone listening um, has some takeaway and some something to go chew on. Uh, Maybe you paused this video like I paused the, the online course. And if so, I hope that you're reflecting and finding new space um, to, to relate to sexuality in a different way. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.